0: He came, he opened the door, and he was screaming, come on, help me. Somebody shot my mother and father, and everyone ran out of the bar, and that was it. Did took off. No, I had to stay. I was tending more. They all jumped in his car and took off.
1: Today, police combed the DeFeo's handsome three-story house for clues while divers explored the backyard swimming pool for the still-unfound murder weapon. Police have been questioning the son, Ronald, and now say he is being, quote, safeguarded. Investigators say without explanation that they now feel young DeFeo was in the house at the time of the murders, but they're not yet considering him a suspect, and so we forth. We have no suspect at this time. Is we really- have no
2: indication of the motive at this time.
1: What about Ronald uh, DeFeo, the son, the surviving son?
2: Ronald is being safeguarded by the Suffolk, Suffolk County Police at this time. Why safeguarded? Why? Because the six members of the family dead, and we don't know why, and he's the sole remaining member. The only suspect? He's not a suspect at this time.
1: Few people in the neighborhood knew the family well, but those who did described them as close-knit. Well, I, figured, I think they were just very
3: sweet, very religious people, very family-minded people. And that's about all I could say. Very
4: good, very
3: generous, this type. They were very close with their children.
1: There's one element in the usual mass murder story which seems to be missing from this case. There's no sense of fear in this community. No feeling of a mass murderer on the loose. People we talked to seem to feel that whatever was the motive for this crime, it had something to do with the family. It's not something that's going to return to bother anyone else. In Amityville, Long Island, Phil Barno, News Center 4.
5: Welcome to Beyond the Edge of Darkness. November, 13, 1974, this Amityville house in Long Island, New York became more than a mere suburban home. Instead, it became an infamous crime scene, as Ronald DeFeo Jr. skulked the halls with a rifle and killed his parents and four of his siblings in their sleep. He later ominously claimed that there were voices in his head urging him to kill, and some believe that he was hearing evil spirits that reside within the house once listed at 112 Ocean Avenue. Despite the infamous killings, numerous families have since moved in and out of the suburban home now listed under 18 Ocean Avenue, and the purportedly paranormal incidents that happened here, spawning a slew of books and films like the Amityville Horror have kept tourists flocking to the house ever since. Though DeFeo's grisly crimes were all too real, is it possible that he was really under the control of evil spirits that inhabit the house? It was the middle of the night on November 13, 1974 when 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo killed six of his relatives with a .35 caliber rifle while they were asleep, both parents Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr. He then moved on to kill all siblings while they slept in bed. Though he confessed to his deeds, DeFeo's defense would later attempt to enter an insanity plea. He claimed he was guided by malevolent voices in his head and couldn't control his behavior. It was this claim and the murders themselves that spawned the notion that 112 Ocean Avenue itself was haunted. He claimed the DeFeo family as a whole were victims of the house. However, a look at DeFeo's life provides an alternative reading of the events. With an abusive father and passive mother, the boy's troubled childhood led to substance abuse as an adult. He not only lashed out at his father, but once even threatened him with a gun. The parents hoped letting him live at home and with a weekly stipend would help. DeFeo barely held a job. This short clip is Dr. Stephen Hodge talking to DeFeo. Dr. Stephen starts the conversation.
0: I wouldn't want to face the parole board, but most importantly, I wouldn't want to face myself every morning in the mirror. I wouldn't want to face myself in the mirror. I might be able to explain to myself why I killed my father. I might be able to explain to myself why I killed my mother. I might be able to explain to myself why in a struggle I... Killed my older sister Dawn, but how? How do I ever explain to myself or come to make myself live with the fact that I killed three defenseless children?
2: First of all, you're wrong in saying about defenseless because everybody in that house was defenseless. Only one person had access to a handgun between my mother and father. He never got a chance to get it, she did. So, everybody else was offensive. As far as I'm concerned, really everybody was offensive. course, I got to them before they got to me. Right.
5: On the day in question, DeFeo left work and went to a bar. He kept calling his home to no avail and complained to patrons about it. He eventually left, only to return at 6.30 a.m. when he yelled, You got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Authorities found all six family members dead in their beds, shot with a rifle at around 3.15am. They were all positioned on their stomachs. There was no sign of struggle, nor that they were drugged. No local reports of gunshots, with only the DeFeo dog barking away. DeFeo changed his alibi several times, from claiming he was at the bar during the time of the murders, to a mob hitman killing his family while forcing DeFeo to watch. He eventually confessed that he gunned his own family down and stood trial on October 14, 1975. Though attorney William Weber tried to enter an insanity plea, the prosecution argued DeFeo was a mere junkie who was well aware of what he was doing that night. He was convicted on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. But it wasn't until after the Lutz family moved into the house in December of 1975 that the purported haunting of the Amityville Horror House allegedly set in. George and Kathy Lutz believed their purchase of the 4,000-square-foot house at $80,000 was a steal, but they moved out 28 days later after terrifying incidents allegedly forced them to flee, from green slime purportedly oozing from the walls and eyes peering into the house from outside, to the rancid smell of rotten flesh lingering in the night air. Kathy also claims she woke up allegedly levitating in bed, it was a rather disquieting month. George also claimed he would wake up at exactly 3.15 a.m. every night without fail. This is the exact time of death of the DeFeo family members who were murdered. When a priest came to bless the house, he allegedly heard a voice scream get out. The priest also told the Lutzes to never sleep in that particular room in the house. Ed and Lorraine Warren also got involved with the house. Lorraine Warren said the case itself has affected our personal lives more than any other case we've ever worked on in 54 years of research. And that's a lot of places. My husband is a religious demonologist. My husband is not well. We've been involved in very bad hauntings and very bad diabolical cases. We've been involved with levitations and blood coming from someone's eyes. All sorts of bad things. But that case followed us right into our home. This is Ed and Lorraine discussing the Amityville Horror Case.
0: Long Island. Amityville, Long Island. Probably the most famous case ever investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren. And you know, to this day, we have people come up to Ed, to Lorraine, and ask them if Amityville was a hoax. They'll come up and say things like, I knew someone who was in that house. That was a hoax. There's no such thing as ghosts at Amityville. I gotta tell you, I know it was not a hoax. Ed Warren will tell you, Lorraine will tell you that that house was one of the most haunted locations in all of America back in 1974, 75. So, with that, I think we'll start the program by asking Ed and Lorraine how they started out with Amityville, how, they, how they got involved. So, Ed, can you please tell us how you got involved in the first instance? Yeah.
6: Well, of course, we were called by uh, Marvin Scott, who was the anchorman for Channel 5 at the time. But we had met Marvin about a year earlier at a haunted church in New Jersey Mm -hmm. and he was impressed by our investigation and we had not heard about the killings in Amityville because Lorraine and I were out of the country at the time and when he asked us to go there because six members of a family were murdered and then a little over a year later another family moved in and this family fled the house after 28 days Well, of course, this interested both of us. So we went to the uh, Amityville home. We met Marvin Scott with a camera crew. And uh, we were supposed to meet George Lutz, who was going to let us in the house. But George wasn't there. And he made a phone call. And uh, George Lutz said, the closest I'll come to that house is four blocks away. I'll give you the keys at a pizza parlor nearby. Well, we went there. We met George, he gave us the keys, and I'll never forget it. He was sitting as close to me as you are, and I said, remember now, this is the first time I've ever seen the guy. Mr. Lutz, what happened to you in that house? Because I really didn't know what happened. And he just looked at me, and he said, you know, just like that. I said, no, I don't know. And I said, what happened to you in in the house that you were so frightened that your family and yourself fled out of there? Mm Mm-hmm you know. Now he's getting a little sick of this. I said, I don't know. I'm not a clairvoyant. I'm not a medium. I'm an investigator. And I thought to myself, this guy doesn't even want to talk about it. Is he that scared of it? Well, I found out that he was afraid to talk about it. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to give a recognition. Right. Well, we took the keys. We went to the house. Now, as I just said, I'm not a clairvoyant. I'm not a sensitive. But when I opened up that door and walked in that house, it reeked of death. Not just because of the six people mm-hmm. who were murdered the the Defeos, mother, father, two sisters, and two brothers. And this all occurred on November 13th, 1974 at 3.15 in the morning. Every member of the family was found shot to death, all lying on their stomach, Tony. Now we'll get into that during the program But that in itself was unnatural. The police had felt they were drugged. They were not drugged. And they found that out during the autopsy.
0: Mm -hmm.
6: We walked into that house. And it's my custom, Tony, to go down into the cellar, the lowest part of the house. These are usually the darkest areas. This is where evil thrives. This is where it survives. It hates God's light. It hates the sunlight. It hates any kind of light. So while Lorraine was walking up the stairs with the camera crew, I went down into the cellar. It was a huge place. We'll show pictures of it later. And uh, as is my custom as a religious demonologist, I took out a crucifix. I held it up and I commanded in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ what was there to reveal itself. It wasted no time. I never had such a quick reaction, Tony. I felt as though I was underneath a waterfall. That's how, how terrific the pressure was on my head and shoulders, forcing me down to the floor. Then I felt what I can only describe as hundreds of pinpoints of electricity hitting my body. And as though somebody had taken a hot towel and dropped it over my face, I couldn't breathe. I knew what was happening immediately. I felt it before, but not to that extent.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: I immediately went into what we call religious resistance. Which means that I again commanded in the name of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, what was there, to leave and go back to where it came from. Immediately it lifted off. I went up the stairs to where Lorraine and the camera crew were, and she'll tell you what she felt there.:
3: Well, now I had no way of knowing Tony, since I was walk- they asked me to go up onto the next floor. Mm-hmm. I had just left walking all around on the first floor. And it's in that one room, that wet bar room, the room that you see on the very front of the house, that I stood and could see all of these bodies all lined up. Mm -hmm. Clear visually. Clear visually, I could see that. That's where the DeFeos were prior to being taken out, you know, to the morgue. And that that was horribly disturbing. And I remember I took that relic. A Padre Pio, which mm-hmm. no camera person knew I had, and I cupped it in my hands, and I I prayed, mm-hmm. you know, to him. Right now, that is the room where the image of him, Padre Pio, it was was picked probably, up on film. We have a slide of this. Tongue. Yeah, we're going to have a slide of it, Tom. Now at this point, I'm still on camera, so I'm not looking. I just think Ed is with me, that he is somehow behind the cameras and that he is there. And I start to go up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Never did I know that he went downstairs. I did not know that. I started to go up to the first landing where the great big window is. And as I did, it felt as if I was standing right under on rushing water. And it bothers you, It's, it's a pressure that's on your body to such a great extent. What happens extent, is that
6: the uh, atmosphere actually solidifies in homes like
3: this. It's like trying to penetrate a wall of cement, really. So I got up, I made it up to that landing, and again, I cupped that relic of Padre Pio and asked for mm-hmm. his help, his right. guidance, his, and made it up the rest of the way. When I got up to the top of the stairs, Remember, I'd never been in this home. I knew nothing about anything about it, nothing about the history at all, Tony. It was just another haunted house, Mm -hmm. except that we were on camera. I went to the left and went in this room. That was the sewing room. Right. And in that room, I looked at Marvin Scott, and he told me just a year ago that he will never forget what I said to him, and that is, I hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. Wow. And in that room is where Father Pecoraro was told by an unseen voice to get out. Mm -hmm. It's the room where the hundreds of flies were killed. That's all. He was also slapped
6: in the face at that time. Yes. Which a lot of people don't know. They think that uh, the voice was the only thing he heard. After he heard the voice, he felt a physical slap in the face. He told me this himself. He repeated it to reporters. It's on official file. There's no Mm -hmm. two ways about it. People have said there never was a Father Pecoraro, and we couldn't even mention his name for the first two years until we got permission to do it. Now, a lot of people out there have heard the Amityville Horror is a hoax. Why do you think that is? Because the atheists want you to think it's a hoax. They don't want anyone out there to believe. For one second that a home, like in Amityville, could be haunted by diabolical forces, which it was. Mm -hmm. Their aim is to kill any belief that you have, Mm -hmm. because if you believe that there's such a place as Amityville and a horror that was in that home, you might believe in a supernatural God. They don't want that. You might believe in a devil. They don't want that either, because a skeptical public is the best protection that devils have, and devils do exist, Mm -hmm. demons do exist, and 25 years ago, just like I in Bridgeport, Connecticut, when we went in on the Lindley Street case, uh, 966 Lindley, I offered a $3,000 reward to anybody, and I'm offering it again, anybody out there that can come to me and prove, the first person comes to me and proves that the uh, case on Lindley Street was a hoax, I'll give them $3,000. Anybody that can come to me, the first one comes to me and proves that there was a hoax committed by the Lutzes, ourselves, Prentice Hall, the priest, and anybody else Mm -hmm. in Amityville, I will give them $3,000. Nobody has ever come to collect that money because both of these cases were very genuine, and both of them made international headlines. This is what the atheistic community hates. They don't want you people to believe out there that such things as devils exist. And even the church today is, is tight-lipped about what's going on. Mm-hmm. What's going on with the church? That's what I want to know. Right.
0: Now, I know we have some slides that we're going to set up, uh, mm-hmm. but while we're setting up the slides, Lorraine, and getting that all set, mm-hmm. uh, what was your f- sense in the house? How did you feel in that house right. during the mm-hmm. investigation?
3: My, my immediate reaction, Tony, when I walked in, was terrible depression. Mm-hmm. You're in a home where so many people had died yeah. violently. Then an, a young family had moved in, mm-hmm. and they fled, leaving everything. You look all over Tony, and it's like you're in somebody's home that they just walked out of, or going to the store and they're coming back, and it's it was just overwhelming feeling everything, of depression. Everything
6: was intact. Yeah, uh-huh. Clothing in, in the closets, the dishes, the pans, cookware, everything you could just like you have in your home right now. They left it. They wouldn't take one thing because the priest told them not to take anything out of there with them. Oh,
0: okay.
3: Yeah, he told them not to take it. I think the
0: slides are almost ready. Now, if we can go to the slides, Ed, did you want to talk and tell us what we're seeing on the slides? Yeah. I think we're going to go to the first one now. As soon as we get to camera one, uh, I think it's going to be a slide of the... Okay. uh,
6: That, of course, is a sign of Amityville. And Amityville means friendly village, you know. Oh, it does. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that. And do you know what the uh, latitude of that is? No. Forty point six six six. Really? Forty point six six six. Right boy. where the house is. Oh. Mm-hmm. Next. Okay, it's that's the house as it looked at the time of our investigation. Of course. Mm-hmm. Now it's been changed around. Oh yeah. I guess the people or uh, the guy that owns it doesn't want to be bothered. And I don't blame them because there are vandals who create a lot of nuisance. But you see where that car is parked. People magazine reporters also parked their car there. The Comarty family, who bought the house after the Lutzes fled. From what I understand, there was a deal made with American International Pictures to sell that house for $250,000 to them so they could use it in a movie which was to be made. Well, of course, American International Pictures Was not allowed to film there because of the town fathers or the neighbors and they got stuck with a pig in a poke and they claimed that it was a beautiful house nothing ever happened to that house there was nothing but good feelings in there how could you have good feelings (laughs) in a house where six people were murdered and five people fled how could you have good feelings you couldn't but they got into that car there their car it burst into flames when they were walking around in the house they could smell this foul odor. And they said to Mrs. Camardi, what's that stench that we smell? Oh, I dropped coffee on the rug about a week ago. You should never drink that kind of coffee, believe <laughs> me. No.
0: <laughs> what's the next slide we have, Ed? What, uh,
3: George what's and
0: you,
6: Kathy Lutz. Not Kathy. too many people have seen photographs of George and Kathy. You look at that guy. Does he look like the kind of a guy that would run away from nothing? Does he look like some kind of a wimp? No, he does not. Mm -mm. and this man and his wife had spent all of their down payment that they got from Kathy's home that she sold and money he had from his business, put it into that house 28 days later, they're going to flee that and leave everything behind with all their earthly belongings? This guy was an ex-Marine. He was a black belt in karate. He hung around with motorcycle gangs. Hey, this guy doesn't run easy, believe me. He doesn't scare easily. No No way.
3: He doesn't scare easily.
6: There's George, happier that's days when they first moved in. They bought the house, you know, on the Amityville River for $50,000. Pretty good price. Right? <laughs> that no, was actually, so was, buy. Was that
3: a lot of money back then, though?
6: It had a pool? No,
3: oh, that, yes. It was? No, no, no. It wasn't a lot. Not, you, you mean this, uh, to buy a house on the river? Oh, no, it Tony. Probably would, should have been more. Yeah, yeah, who would buy should.
6: a house? Who, except George said, when the dead are dead, that's it. They don't bother you.
3: I mean, it was a lot of money, Tony, but it but wasn't exorbitant. enough for that house. Yeah, because no. it had everything. George out.
6: was an atheist, you know. Yeah. Today he's a devout Catholic. Oh. He's, a, he's He uh, attends church daily and his That's, wife. There's Kathy. There's Kathy in Happier Days. She was a waitress at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this was to be their dream house. You know, right. This is what they saved for. This is what they wanted. Right. They were newly married. The three children, of course, were Kathy's, but George uh, treated them like his own children. Well, oh, He
3: did. He was very good to their children. Mm-hmm.
6: And yeah. there's statues. Now, here's here's my argument right here, ladies and gentlemen. Look at those statues. You know where they came from? Nope. Montreal, Canada, from yeah. St. Joseph's Shrine. Okay, okay, I heard of that. Mr. DeFeo, who was murdered, the man that was murdered in that house with his family, went six months before he was murdered up to Montreal, Canada, brought back a priest who was an exorcist to exorcise that home. Now, if that house wasn't haunted, why did he go up and get an exorcist? Why did he bring him back before the Lutzes ever lived there? Because yep. that house was haunted. Yep. And those statues were specially made for him to surround his house with. And people said, what, what's this with Mr. DeFeo? He's not a religious person. What's all the statues? He said he had a, 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 a devil, on devil on his back. back. Ooh. <laughs> now, what he was talking about, of course, was his son.
3: Yeah.
6: His son, who he felt... Did probably come under oppression and possession at times, was into the black arts, was on drugs, and who eventually murdered every one of them. So that's what those statues are about. Okay, next. And here you have the Amityville River.
3: Look at that property, Okay, look at the boathouse.
6: There's the house in the background. $50,000, ladies and gentlemen. That'd
0: be like $500,000.
6: That's more right. More than that. Oh, more than yeah. that on the Amityville oh, River. Yeah. But
3: look at the boathouse. That's, that's the where the boathouse in the background.
6: The, an Indian tribe had kept prisoners, dying prisoners, went mad, starving. And, you know, tragedies like this draw inhuman or diabolical spirits mm-hmm. because they love to see human misery, human tragedy. And I believe that's where it all started. But George also had... A brand-new uh, boat in there, brand-new, with $500 worth of tools that he oh. left behind.
3: And mm-hmm. his motorcycles.
6: Two motorcycles, custom-made. Mm-hmm. Wow. A man like that doesn't leave all that behind.
0: No,
3: absolutely not. No. Look it's at like how, kitchen, look right? how it looked, Tony. The kitchen. In other words, the plants are there where she had watered them and left them on the counter yep. to drain. Mm-hmm. The dishes from supper are right in the sink. Wow. The they were just like
0: that when you
6: went in there Yes, exactly.
3: Later. Just exactly that way, Tony.
6: They mm. fled that house. Oh, yeah. They were just frightened.
3: Just exactly We've that way. we seen
6: hundreds of other people just like them. This is nothing new to Lorraine and I. You know, for every Amityville that gets publicized, like the Smurl family, the um, Gooden family, there's 500 that never reach the public. Oh, yeah. So this here is not unusual to and see homes Tony, like this flood.
3: I remember these bolts of material. No, who, who's that in the middle? Me? That's Jim Brolin. I know. I
0: know. Yeah. That. that's James J- Brolin. That's, and that's you? And who has his wife next to
3: him? No, that's uh, a girl that he had just met, and they were dating at that time. He was leaving. We were leaving that day for Australia, Ed and I, and he was leaving the next day, and he wanted so bad to go with us, but they couldn't change the flights.
6: Well, you know what he told us? He would go over to the Amityville home. He'd park out in front, and he'd look at the house, and he thought, I'd like to go over and knock on the door and see if I get in. But then again, he said, no, I'm not going in there. Really? He wouldn't go in because he was frightened. He
3: was uh, Yeah, he didn't want to subject himself to that. What a wonderful nice person guy. he was. He's a nice guy. Oh, nice, nice person. I really like, nice like guy. Him. Very, very nice guy.
0: Now, what's that? Now, uh, that's
3: uh, the two cameramen camera that came in. Both of these men knew combat assignments, Tony, both of them. They had such severe heart palpitations Most of the men did. In that house that they got down on their knees on the floor in in the house. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just unbelievable. Do you know, Tony, that all of the men, all of the men, men, not women, all of the men Mm -hmm. going into that house have all died of heart related problems. Except Ed. And Ed had a heart attack, right? You know, sometime after going in the house. Now these. Well, no, not all of them, Anne, Lorraine. Yes, d- they did. Kaplan's still alive, isn't he? The one. Kaplan's no, died. what was his name? Marvin not Kaplan. Marvin Scott. Scott. Marvin Scott yeah, Marvin Scott is still alive, but the principal people involved in the but investigation. Most of them are dead. Yes, most okay. of them are dead of a heart attack because. It's the media that did that check for us.
0: That's Marvin Scott right there. That's isn't it? Marvin Scott
3: right there. Uh-oh. That's Dr. Brian Riley sitting next to me, a parapsychologist from England. That's his wife, Alberta, uh, that you can see just behind Marvin. That's during the period of time of, of um, the communication in that house. That was a horribly dangerous home. Now, this is Dr. Carlos Osis. President of the American Society for Psychic Research, Dr. Alex Tanis, there talking to Ed and I. In the background are people from Duke University. These are the people that we brought in. We are the investigators of the Amityville Horror, that handful of people, Tony. The media, That's that's it, that's all. And people came out of the woodwork after reading a book, making all sorts of statements, regarding the fact that was hoax, based on a book, based on a piece of literary property. They are saying that the case was a hoax, not based on an investigation. This is Marvin Scott That's again. That's Marvin again with uh, Alberta. But look at the
6: silverware and back of Marvin Scott. Look at the, right. F- right. Look at all the valuable airlines. China in the uh, uh, China closet yeah. there. And uh, what kind of dishes are on the, on the wall there? I I I can't.
0: I forget what they they were,
3: but it was a collector. They
0: left everything they had.
3: Yes, they were collector items. Now the man who is on our right and on the right on the screen, looking over my shoulder. uh, looking over my shoulder. He was very badly affected in that house. He was from Duke. Duke. And he collapsed, Tony, and had to be taken out. The man in the middle has died of a heart attack. Really. Yes. Oh, boy. Yes, he had died of a heart attack. Now, are you, uh, this is Missy's bedroom. Are you aware that the children and George and Kathy slept in the very beds that the, the Fayos were murdered in? Yeah, I heard that, yeah. The only yeah. thing changed were the mattresses. That is the furniture of the little girls, and that's the room uh, where Missy slept. But look now, at the
6: rocking chair. George so and Kathy would hear that a voice coming, and they'd peek in through that door over on the right, and they'd see that rocking chair going back and forth oh, by itself. Nobody in it. Nobody in it. And, and the they'd come girl, in and see what they described as red eyes looking in through the window over there.
3: And they, the little girl would talk to that. Now, that this man is was one of the parapsychologists uh, with the group, Jerry Solfen. He is, now has his doctorate in parapsychology, as far as I know, is still at John F. Kennedy University.
4: Okay.
3: Uh, that's, d- see where the sign is, where it was, had the sign there? The pole, Tony, yeah. the sign, the pole, the sign read, High Hopes. That's it? What?
6: Did? Yes, you how see sad. Where, you see where the, uh, the uh, boathouse is down there? Yeah. One night, George, Kathy, and the three children were watching television. They looked out the window there, and they could see, again, the red eyes that they described as Jody the Pig. He ran out, George, he looked and it was snowing lightly and he could see footprints, hoofprints, leading down to the Mm boathouse. He went down there and the door was damaged as if somebody had smashed into it. Now, people said, well, there was no snow call for that night. The Weather Bureau didn't call for snow. (laughs) The Weather Bureau is never wrong, are they? (laughs) But did you ever see it snow on one side of the town
3: and not on the other side? Yes, positively. So they picked on little things
0: little like things this. Little things, and they grabbed
3: it. Yes. Uh, again, these are shots. Oh, there's the master bedroom. Now, there's the bed where Mr. and Mrs. DeFeo were shot to death in, and to sit on that bed, Tony, was absolutely horrible. I sat I on the edge of the bed in that room. Yes. There's the red room, the so-called red room, and that's where he kept a lot of to the tools. Who's he? The Red Room. Uh, de Ronald DeFail. De Ronald de The Red Fale. Room, as
6: they call it, though, was it's nothing more than a cubbyhole. Under it the stairs. It went in. It was about maybe eight feet long by four foot wide. But this is where he kept a lot of the things that he used in he Used in, in his magic. craft,
3: yes. That's where he kept them. Uh, that's myself talking with Dr. Carlos Osis and Alex Tanis, who told, uh, Alex told Ed that afternoon, that he came up against the most powerful evil force he ever felt. Well, Alex Tannis looks like a devil to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
6: Alex, yes. Alex looks like the devil is still
3: in him. He, he, does. Lo- he looks like he's going to bite into now, my neck, What's this shadow? The sewing it? room? This is the sewing room, Tony. There's the room where I looked at Marvin Scott and said, I hope this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. Okay, and that's know. the
6: room where the priest had told Next. Him, the voice told him to get out. Can I watch yes. And it was slapped in the face. This we only
3: got
0: three th- minutes left, so I want to get more of these slides. Oh,
3: in. yeah. All right. And this is taken going up the stairs. You know what I'd like you to spend the three minutes on, Tony? That polygraph test. You would? Yes. Yeah. That's very, very important. Right okay, this so, so what we'll do is we'll uh,
0: shut off the uh, slides and then we'll go to. Uh, I have this. Um, now, this is a document. This is a document. you want to explain it? You want to yes. Explain it?
6: This is a uh, document from Mr. Chris Gugas, who was president of the Polygraph Association of America at the time of the hauntings in the home in Amityville. He had tested both Mr. and Mrs. Lutz and another polygraph expert,
0: and here is the results. Okay, I'm going to read this. This is uh, this is by the Professional Security Consultants. Okay, here it is. Regarding George and Kathy Lutz, dear Mr. Moses, on June 19, 1979, a polygraph examination was conducted on George and Kathleen Lutz at this office. The issues to be resolved concerned events which took place at the Lutz's home in Amityville, New York, during December 1975 and January 1976. Mr. Lutz's examination was conducted by Chris Gugas and Mrs. Lutz was examined by Michael Rice of this office. Both examiners reviewed a book written by Jay Anson which presented the Lutz's experiences during the per- period. Both subjects were then interviewed in depth by each examiner in order to make certain that each person understood each critical question to be asked on their examinations. <coughs> Excuse me. Following the initial pretest interview, stimulation tests were then given each subject in order to determine if they would be suitable subjects for the polygraph. Both examiners were satisfied with the results of their stimulation tests. Then the actual exam was undertaken. Uh, polygraph instruments were used which recorded blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, electrodermal re- resistance. Both subjects were in good physical condition. The following critical questions were asked by, asked Mr. Lutz by Mr. Gugas. Are the details you gave me on your frightening experiences at the Amityville house true? The subject answered yes. When you fled your Amityville house, were you in fear of your life and the well-being of your family? The subject answered yes. After leaving Amityville, did you and Kathy both levitate at your mother-in-law's house? The subject answered yes. During your 28 days in Amityville, did you experience unexplained flies and disturbing odors on several occasions? The subject answered yes. At the Amityville house, did you hear what sounded like a marching band tuning up in the middle of the night? The subject answered yes. A total of four charts were made, which included irrelevant and control questions as standard procedure of the polygraph. It was noted that Mr. Lutz's blood pressure tracing revealed extra systolic heartbeats as a regular pattern throughout his exam. This does not affect his examination in the final evaluation. This condition is not unusual for persons with strong athletic participation. After reviewing the charts containing the above critical questions, it is the opinion of Mr. Gugis that Mr. George Lee Lutz answered truthfully to all of his critical questions asked in his examination. There's another one by uh, given to Kathleen Lutz that give similar results. I can't, don't have time to read it. After Mr. Rice evaluated Mrs. Lutz's charts, it was his opinion that she answered truthfully to all the critical questions listed above, and that no deception was indicated to any of those questions. Respectfully submitted Chris Gugas, Polygraph Examiner, member American Polygraph Association, Michael Rice, who did Mrs. Lutz, uh, Polygraph Examiner of the California Academy of Polygraph Science. This is a a document, personal and confidential, that was uh, obtained by Ed and Lorraine Warren. So it's not a hoax. No, no way. On a scale of no, 1 to no. 10, we don't have Remember, much
6: time. my offer still goes. Anybody out there says Amityville's a hoax can prove it to me, come to me. I'll give you $3,000, the first
5: person that comes right to me.
0: There you have it. 3000 bucks. anybody can prove Amityville's a
5: hoax. At present, the Dutch colonial home is nothing to scoff at. With five bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, and a boathouse on a canal off the Long Island Sound, the house is rather substantial. Despite its appeal, after the Lutz family moved out, it went into foreclosure in 1977. It was next owned by James Cromarty, the owners of Riverhead Raceway. The Cromartys changed the Amityville Horror House address from 112 Ocean Avenue to 108, hoping to stave off stalkers and retain its fluctuating value. After an uneventful decade living within its walls, they sold it to Peter and Jeannie O'Neill in 1987. They then sold in 1997 for $310,000 to Brian Wilson. Not the Beach Boys singer. Most recently, the house sold for $605,000 in 2017. Did this house really have an evil presence inside it, or was it all just a hoax? Things returned to normal for the Lutz family after they left the house, and George Lutz began to wonder if it was the house's evil presence that had actually driven DeFeo to kill his family in the end.
7: So, right now, back in November 1975, six people. Uh, were killed in a, an awful uh, mass murder. God knows, it. it's got to be awful, in a small town on Long Island. The town is called Amityville. The murders took place in this house. One year later, George and Kathleen Lutz bought the house and they moved into it with their three children. After living there for 28 days, they were convinced the house was possessed by some kind of uh, of evil force and they left their belongings and they fled and they were really terrified. The events that supposedly took place there during those 28 days have been, uh, have been put down in a best-selling book. It's called The Amityville Horror, and there is now a movie out, or about to come out, of the book. George and Kathleen Lutz are with us this morning to talk about what happened during those 28 days in Amityville. And James Brolin, super young man, actor. Thank you. Yes, much pleasure. Good to see you again, Jim. You. He plays George Lutz in the movie, and Jim is with us this morning, and it's great seeing you again. Great to see you again. this? good morning to you both. Good morning. All right. First of all, the book and the movie depict all these kind of weird, strange things that happened in the house during those 28 days when you were there. What kind of things, George, happened physically? What were some of the things that happened that scared you? Well, at first, just moving into the house was fine. It's a lovely house. Yeah. And we enjoyed
2: moving in. Uh, within a week, Kathy's hand had been touched by something that we discussed and couldn't explain. It was just something unseen.
7: I mean, this is in the daylight, or was it? Yes, it's during the day. Right. Okay.
4: We also had uh, hordes of flies that would appear within two rooms, and no matter how many times we would kill them, they would reappear.
7: All right. Now, flies can be a real problem in this part of the country in the summer. Sure. In any house, you know.
4: But if you have two or three or four within one room, that could be commonplace. And but when you're win- talking over a hundred,
7: well, oh. oh, this was the winter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're talking about how many?
4: Over a hundred hundred one time. And then you'd go around and kill them. They'd be lying on the floor. You'd come back an hour later and they would be there. More of them.
7: Okay. There's we something had. about green slime. What was that on the wall in the movie? This green slime comes out of the walls? Right? right. George, did that happen? As the movie did it, not exactly, no. Yeah. It was more of
2: uh, a gelatin kind of substance that we thought the children had. Somehow mixed something up and, and spilled it around the house. The okay. next time it happened, the kids were at
7: school, and there was just no way to explain how it got there. Did you all call, a, you know, a contractor or a carpenter or anybody to come and look and and try to?
4: We sure. had several repairmen sure. come in. Uh, telephone repairmen came three times because each time we would try to communicate with the priest, we would run into faulty connections. Uh, we had extreme fluctuations in the heat, between 40 and 50 degree fluctuations. Three times the serviceman came in. One time he was there, he heard the f- furnace functioning, and yet there was no heat within the house. The temperature was at 40, and yet the thermostat read 80.
7: Okay, but did you had somebody inspect the entire heating system. Goodness knows those of us who live in the north know what can happen with heating systems in a house, especially old houses. George, something about there was also something about black uh, in the toilets, the the water black and making the the ceramic, the bowls, or whatever black? The china itself, it wasn't in the water.
2: The china itself turned black. And at Mm -hmm. first it was one bathroom and then another and then another. So that by the time the investigators got there, a number of them were still black. You know, it was still that way. There was never any reasonable explanation. Did you have a plumber come in?
7: I mean, when you first spotted it... No, there wasn't a a problem with the water. The water was cool. It was normal. But did you invite any contractor, somebody like that, just to come say, hey, what's wrong with the toilets? No, because... You didn't,
4: yeah. One of the things we found was the keyholes would ooze a black substance, which was of the same nature and appearance as that which was on the porcelain in the toilets. And when the investigative team came on March 6, 1976... Mm -hmm. The substance was still on the keyholes, and they were unable to obtain samples of it, because it was never in a moist condition, uh, condition. and they wouldn't do physical damage to the door, in other words, carve out a piece of wood without our consent.
7: Had either of you had any experience before with the occult or the supernatural, ever before? We didn't believe in it. Were you afraid for your children? Why didn't you leave earlier than the 28 days if you were terrified? Well it was our
2: house, first of all. We, yeah. got, we had never intended to give it up. Even after we moved out, we intended to find out what was wrong and and move back in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the investigation was held and, and people from different psychic research groups that at least we could check their credentials were called in and asked to to come in. We've been asked many times why we stayed so long. It's very hard to... Remember exact, the exact emotions or the, yeah. the the moment why you would make a decision right. or why not? But you finally did make it. Well, out. by the time we flipped. left, we had lost a considerable amount of weight. Kathy was passing out quite regularly. I had lost over 26 pounds, and we were just reacting from one happening to another. We so, weren't really So
7: you were generally. We were thinking. Yes. Yeah.